Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Gemma Millen and Robin Galway. Today we are making conversations with Helen Hancock, glass blower based in Lemavadi, Northern Ireland. We really hope that you enjoyed the previous episode that featured textile artist Maria McCormack. Uh, that was the first episode that launched this series as part of August Craft Month 2019. For this episode, our guest was glassblower Helen Hancock, uh, who speaks so openly about her making journey and shares her beautifully unique processes of making. Helen, who's also a doula and a breastfeeding counsellor, uses her practice to open up the conversation about natural feeding. So let's get this great making conversation started with Helen Hancock. So thank you so much for joining us and having this making conversation. Um, could you tell us a bit about uh, how you got into glass and the start of your education towards being a glassmaker? Okay, um, so I suppose I was always creative and artistic, like most most of us are whenever we mm-hmm. end up doing this. I um, I studied in Lamavari. I did my foundation course here in Lamavari, where I'm based now, um, many years ago in 1994. I think started here um, and then started at NCAD in 95 um, studying glass and finished there in 1998 and I also went to Seattle to work there with some glass artists in 97 in the summer of 97 because I really wanted to write um, my thesis on Chihuly and the Venetian glass so I decided I um, was too lazy to sit in the the library so I just went straight to the horse's mouth yeah just right Um, so I, yeah, so I traveled to Seattle for the first time in 1997 in the summer, um, which was a great time to be in Seattle, and and then came back and finished my final year at NCID, and then went straight back to Seattle again as soon as I graduated. Brilliant. Brilliant. And did you go back um, to Seattle uh, straight into a job and settle back into what you were doing previously, or was it kind yeah. of like a full yeah, move? Yeah, I did. I worked with a guy called Bruce Greek, who was um, who had previously been uh, one of the Jihuly head gaffers. And we were making um, lighting pieces for Nordstrom's at the time for their stores. Wow. And um, so they were being sent all over the United States. So I worked with Bruce for quite some time. And there were several of us on the team. Um, we would have worked on Bashan Island and a few other studios. At, at that stage, in the 90s, late 90s, there was just hot shops everywhere in Seattle. I mean, everyone mm-hmm. and their granny could blow glass in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> it was just amazing. So it's a really good time to blow glass and a really great place to be. So I was really mm-hmm. lucky. Um, I just, I suppose I was a bit more spontaneous then. Mm-hmm. So it was brilliant. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It was a great experience. So I traveled back and forth until around, I think, 2001, I think, was when I finally sort of settled back here. Yeah. And I had started looking into getting the studio going here back then. And I was sort of based between Derry and then I decided to go to Donegal Town um the unit was available funding wasn't and I just I kind of got a bit fed up trying then at that stage and and went back to Seattle again yeah Uh, and then um and then had a gap then for a few years where I came back to Derry then and and just um, worked in different jobs for a while Mm -hmm. try and work out what I wanted to do and um yeah and then I think it sort of fizzled out I just didn't make glass for about 15 years oh, okay. <laughs> and I went back to it in 2017 was when I first made glass again 
after that mm-hmm. yeah a long time yeah definitely I mean um why glass in the first place um what and you you are your glass blower um yeah. what what made those decisions um to choosing glass and go into it um I mean you said you're very creative as a child but I mean not many people really have exposure to glass blowing um, or even glass at all uh, well, we, went, we went on a field trip to Dublin with the college here when uh-huh. we were doing foundation. Actually, I think we went when we were doing A-levels. Okay. We were studying A-levels. We did a, like a field trip to Dublin, and we had a tour of NCAD. And I just remember walking into their glass studio at the time and going, like, what is this? And it was hot, and there was lots of music, and it was just it was just so – it was noisy, and it was vibrant, and I just loved it, and I loved the heat. Yeah. And I thought, well – this is, you know, this is sort of challenging and interesting. And I suppose my influences would have been very much like Art Nouveau and, and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. everything would have been very curvaceous and round and, and organic sort of things. And I thought, we well, this is a really organic thing to use. And I love ceramics as well. And I love the idea of becoming a potter as well. But okay. I just think then once that, once, yeah, I think initially I had wanted to do ceramics and I applied for ceramics then when I went to NCAD initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they do it is you, you rotate, you do the four modules, so you do your um, your metalwork and your ceramics and your glass, and I can't remember what the other one is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Chihuly had arrived in Ireland at that time on his way to Venice, and we all ended up working with him in Waterford. Fantastic. And that, and that was when I changed my mind. I thought, there's no way I'm going back to doing <laughs> ceramics. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was how the glass, the, the glass bulb kicked in. And then after that, it was just all about finding the source who's the core who's making the most interesting stuff right now and where are they and I, I think I always sort of thought if you were going to do it and you were you admired somebody and they were still alive then you just go to them yeah Absolutely. yeah <laughs> well that was what I that was always what I thought you did I just thought well if, you know if you want to be the best at something then you go to the person who influences you the most and if they're around yeah. then why not and that was kind of how I how I seen it and I remember talking to people afterwards and telling them that and they were going well no one does that <laughs> it took years to build up to it and I was going no I just went straight over <laughs> yeah so, very brave attitude great fun yeah definitely no that's fantastic actually that's I think that's definitely an approach people need to have like now you know yeah, still confidence yeah yeah absolutely I'm the same when I talk to people here who are still at art college and you know, they're saying, oh, I'm thinking of doing a master's and, you know, I'm saying, well, where are you thinking of going? They're going, oh, I'm thinking about going to, I don't know, Cumbria or somewhere like that. And I'm going, mm-hmm. where would you like to end up? Oh, I'd love to end up in New York. And they're like, well, why don't you just go to New York? Yeah. You know, what do you, you know, just go. Yeah. Life's short, you know, just do it, do it anyway. Face the beer and all that. <laughs> Brilliant. And how was um Seattle an option for you? Like, was it, was there funding for you to go over or did you have friends or family over in Seattle? No, no, not at all. I just, I had met, um, I'd met some of the, the glass blowers. They had, I'd met them when Chihuly was there mm-hmm. years ago in Waterford when I just started NC80. And then a few of them had come over to work with us in the art college. Three of them had come over to work with us. Um, and there was quite a lot of people would have come to NC80 back then to do residencies with um, the department. So Peter Young and David Reiki and um, lots of really amazing well high profile artists that would have been around at the time mm-hmm. would have come in to do two week workshops with us and we were really really lucky um, I don't know if they still do that but that's what they did then obviously they had a lot more money then than they do now yeah. but um, it was amazing and so 
so we all just clicked and and I was one of the ones who was like right guys I'm coming over this summer and they were like come on ahead let's go come to Pilchuck and we'll come over and we'll do all these things and you know come and hang out at Chihuly's place and meet everybody and so I met like Lino Talia Piera and who's probably recognized as one of the most famous glass blowers in the world even today right an Italian master and so you know I got to hang out with him and make dinner and it was just mind-blowing looking at it now I'm still going like that you know I did that <laughs> I did that when I didn't really realize how important it was you know yeah yeah so it was it was it was brilliant it was really inspiring at the time and I when I came and that was between my final year my second and my third year of college I did that so when I came back to do my third year I just thought I was just invincible you know <laughs> Definitely. That's yeah. You need to have that. I think uh, you know, going towards your final year, I suppose. Anyway, but how did you find the culture to be different, um, in terms of making in Seattle compared to making in Ireland? Well, I mean, it's vastly different. That they are very much Venetian influenced because of Jihuly's uh-huh. connection with Venice, and so um. The, the whole Venetian, my whole thesis was about the Venetian influence on American glass, actually, and how Lino Talipiera and other Venetian glass blowers had come to Seattle and shared a lot of the, the skills that actually, not long before that, people would have been beheaded for in Venice, believe it or not, wow. for, for telling those secrets. So, um, so although I think back then Lino was actually shunned quite a bit for sharing the secrets mm-hmm. of Venetian glass, you, you know, a lot of people were influenced like Dil Chihuly and Benjamin Moore and Dante Marioni and people like that who now make glass, like Venetian glass artists, but they, but and what they did in the United States was they took those skills and made everything bigger. Yeah. You know? Everything's huge there and it's huge pieces of glass and, and it was very, it was really intimidating coming from from NCID to go there and see that because we were using recycled water for crystal which is heavy and you can't use color with and yeah it was very difficult so being there with these guys was was really um it was just it was a bit overwhelming and I definitely was pretty intimidated by it all but at the same time I was just I was just so in awe of everything I saw and and when I went back the next year to work with Bruce um it was just it was amazing to watch I mean, when we were working in our college, you don't really work as a team, so you don't have like four people running around working with you. Yeah. Um, and in Seattle, then when I was there working in a team, I was one of the team members, so I had a role to play every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really teaches you a lot about making glass in that way. Um, and that's how they make glass like that. You know, it's it, that's the difference between us here and the skills that we have and, and the skills that they have now, you know, got there. Yeah. But the thing was, I mean, people people there who can make the most amazing glass you've ever seen there's just so many so the you know the entire market swamped there yeah with all the amazing glass blowers and unless you're absolutely at the top of your game you, you get nowhere i mean if one of those guys left here we'd all be falling right though yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and That's they would just be average <laughs> but um so yeah it's it's pretty pretty special yeah fantastic what was um your graduation piece then or the body of work you worked on um coming back from that experience was it different significantly different to what you'd kind of been working on previous or before you went over to Seattle I don't think so not really because with the crystal you were really limited so crystal can't be blown thin 
it has to be kept quite thick and and color and stuff so i i kind of i did these very organic spiral forms and blown elements and and sand cast elements and different different pieces and i think they were i think they were just they were just very basic um forms and i think for me it was just i just wanted to get my final year finished then so that i could go again yeah (laughs) Um, so it was just um yeah and i brought a lot of tools i bought a lot of tools in seattle to bring back then to use at ncad in my final year as well so i had all this equipment there but yeah i mean the, the end of year show was it just funded me just about funded me for my flight back. Yeah. So that's what uh, it was great. Fantastic. Could you maybe uh, talk a little bit about the process of actually glass blowing? I mean, I'm not familiar with it at all. I know Robin has actually you you've yeah, done. Yeah, I did it um just a very small weekend course down at Leitrim, and it was incredible because I have always had this fascination with glass as well. Just how it kind of works like honey, and how it yeah. flows, and just the um. It's just such a beautiful and uh, captivating thing to watch, but I'm not in any way a natural at it, um, as I find out. Um, but yeah, could you tell us a bit more about the processes that you would use? Like you were saying about Waterford Crystal, um, you would recycle that. Um, what was the choice? Is there, what are the other options? I know there's like bullseye glass, but is that for smaller that, lump work? Yeah, or? that would be for more warm glass. I think bullseye is for warm glass. We okay. would use, um, we, I think the, the glass that I use at the minute um, is comes from Sweden and I can't pronounce the name of it, okay. actually, I can't remember. But um, yeah, I suppose there's all different recipes for it, isn't there? And, and the one that, that I think is used in Leitrim now and the one that, that I was using here mm-hmm. uh, is, is a really lovely clean glass as well. And it's just, it's about 1150, 1200 degrees it melts at and you know obviously we can't touch it so yeah. you're having to use your tools and and understanding your tools and how to work it so it's a lot to do with kind of it's like a rhythm you have to you have to be patient with it um it's getting used to the heat that's one big part of it is, is working with the heat and understanding how to approach it um working with that flow so getting to know how your glass is flowing crystals at totally different temperature it mm-hmm. works differently so it's very very rummy and then it cools down very very um it cools down quite slowly where the other glass we would use now um gets is hotter and it cools down faster mm-hmm. so it's it's working on how to reheat it um how long you need to reheat it there's lots of process and then that all takes time and it's something that I suppose you, that's what you get used to initially when you're first working with the glasses, the timing yeah. and the process of that. And then understanding how to work with the tools and, and color. And, you know, I suppose it's a bit like ceramics in a way. It's, it's you know, you're having to keep that turning constantly and keep things centered and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So like pottery a bit in a way, only much warmer. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So you had quite a break then um in your making um could you maybe talk about uh why you had that break and then what started your your making journey again well i suppose i i suppose life it was just that was a it was the old biological clock ticking i think (laughs) i um i met a guy oh god back in the 2000 and i think 2006 we met and we bought a house in donegal in 2007 Mm-hmm. Uh, a 400 year old clacken actually um, oh my goodness. Old batch clacken um, with amazing outbuildings and the plan was to 
restore the house and turn the sheds like there was beautiful stable block and that was going to be my studio and we had lots of ideas so we spent nine years um trying to work on the house and we have volunteers coming from all over the world and i, I suppose just gradually over time the idea of low and glass started to waver and then i had my kids mm-hmm. as well and then i found i find all the things related to having children very complicated like the births were horrendous mm-hmm. uh, feeding my children was really difficult um, so all these things that I, I, I mean, we basically lived off the land more or less where we were. One time we didn't have electric. We, we lived off well water. I lived in a, a torrent car, caravan for two and a half years with no toilet. So oh, yeah. I, like, I don't know what I lived like, <laughs> but, um, but not like most people at the time. And, and we grew all our own vegetables and raised our own animals and stuff. Amazing. So it was a very, um, a very sort of, I don't know. It was idyllic, but it was it was not easy. Mm-hmm. And then having children in the middle of that, and I also uh, I lost a baby at um, six months as well. Oh, so there was a lot of, of processing to do for me in terms of coming to terms with um, the the horrendous births I had, the awful breastfeeding experiences, yeah. and also baby loss. And so I decided to train as a a Quiji breastfeeding counselor then. Uh-huh. Um, and so I studied that and trained for over two years to train to do that and then I became a birth doula as well oh because God. I needed answers I needed to know that it wasn't my fault that these yeah. things happened to me and my children and and understand what what the process was and so that kind of became my new force that was my where glass had become my past this was my future and that was what I felt was happening I always I always felt really sad about the fact that glass was no longer in my life yeah but there was no place for it then Mm -hmm. the focus was restore this house and try and raise these children and you know do all the other things and so then I trained in baby massage and baby yoga and toddler yoga my whole world just rotated around supporting women and children and babies and yeah and that was happening Mm -hmm. and and then in 2016, everything sort of fell apart was the relationship that I was in and everything. And so we, we left there, me and my children left there. Mm-hmm. And we came to, came to Lamavari. I'm actually from Derry. I'm not from Lamavari. I'm from Derry. Right, but, um, but because I'm related to most of Derry, <laughs> I decided just to, to try and bypass Derry for a while because it was easier to not have to meet everybody and answer lots of questions. Yeah. Happen in, in my life, so I came here and um and I've been part of Stendhal Festival here anyway. Have been for quite a few years now. I think I I came on board the second year of Stendhal, um working in hospitality, and then for the last five years now I've been offering breastfeeding support at Stendhal. Um, so obviously that's a huge thing here in Lamavari, mm-hmm. and so I've become involved in that, and a lot of people here I got to know anyway, and. Yeah, so that was that was when I first started thinking about glass, I think. It was coincidental. Dave, who I worked with at NCAD, had messaged me mm-hmm. and told me he had gone back to making glass and asked me about my old tools and yes. would I be interested in selling them to him. And I had said, yeah, I would. I would sell them to him, no problem, and I was never going to make glass again. Okay. And then Mel, who's based in Ontario in Canada, who um, had created Breast Bowl, which is these glass, little glass vessels for hand express and breast milk. Mm-hmm. She had, she's a, a, I think she's a biochemical engineer. Mm-hmm. And so she had created these amazing little glass vessels after having her babies. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And she was making them. And so she said, well, why don't you make them in Ireland and, you know, sell them there? And I was like, what? <laughs> why? What? And I just thought they were fascinating. And I obviously was my background then on breastfeeding support. I just thought they were so amazing and, and the idea behind them was so amazing because obviously we're trying to reduce waste and yeah. glass sterile and you know we don't really need to use these industrial style pumps and you know all these things and so I love the concept um and I loved that they were made from low glass and then and then at the same time Dave had messaged me and I was sort of going this is all about odd yeah you know, the people so that was like I mean, around Christmas 2016, I think they messaged me around then. And both of them, I said, no, no, no. <laughs> and my confidence was totally shattered. And then Dave just said, you know, I know a guy's got a studio near you and I'm going to come up and hire it. Can you come and hang out? And, and I went in and I felt like a total fraud. I just felt like I shouldn't have been there. Oh, no. I, didn't even, I stopped telling people years before that I even made glass. Mm-hmm. I just felt like a complete fraud. And... And then as the day went on, I just realized that my skills were still there and I started gaining confidence. And then we went back for another few days and I just was, you know, making these breast bowls and I just felt so good. And then people wanted to buy them and I was just going, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and that was sort of how it, that's how it started. Um, and so yeah, 2017, I think I, I went back into the hot shop. Mm-hmm. And then Mel had started experimenting with her breast milk and the glass. And she told me what she'd been doing and she'd show me some of the stuff. And it had gone this sort of weird gray color, but there was little flakes of white on it. And I was asking her about it and she was just saying, oh, I just went straight into the milk. And mm-hmm. I was like, God, that's, that's odd. And so I had been, I've been running support groups for years anyway. Mm-hmm. And I asked a few of the mothers in my group and I thought they would think it was really odd and wouldn't like it at all. I thought they'd think, that woman's mad. <laughs> I just said, would any of you be willing to give me some some of your milk to, to experiment with? And they were beating my door down. Wow. <laughs> they were all flogging. I mean, the first day I, I started experimenting and I posted pictures on Facebook. And that night, just the amount of people came here with little jars of milk for me and were oh. like, can you take mine? Can you take mine? And so I, I took them off and... Uh, it was sort of trial and error. I had to work a lot with the heat and yeah. work a lot, getting the glass right, getting the milk right, and, and getting the balance right. But there's no processing at all. I just go into the milk with the hot glass, and then I encase it, and I and I reheat it, and it turns white within the glass. Wow. And it was just, whenever I seen the results then afterwards when it cooled down, because it needs overnight, and then we bring it out the next day. Mm-hmm. And it, just, it looks like, a mammogram it looks yeah, it like does. what what we see in a mammogram when we have that done and I just was going oh wow this is something else <laughs> this is this is completely incredible and I started googling then to see if anyone else had done it yeah. and no one else has done it um no one else in the world as far as I can find has done this yeah and um so I kind of had to sit down and pinch myself and go geez hell you know this is this is pretty amazing. I have, you know, what's this about? Mm. <laughs> what are you going to do with this? So it's kind of been developed since that. Um, so yeah, I started um, just, I started making it for the moms in my group. Mostly they were, they were offering me money to make them pieces and that's where it began. And then someone mm. suggested putting, um, baby teeth in glass and, and the results of that were fab mm. and placenta and umbilical cords and all these things that, that means something to these these women. Yeah. 
nearly every woman that I've handed the piece to directly that I haven't had to post the glass to, they nearly all break down. Like mm -hmm. They get really emotional when they see mm -hmm. it for the first time. And it's really, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit scary because initially I'm going, oh my God, are they really upset? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. They're really, really emotional about it. Um, and I suppose for quite a few of them, I will have known the trauma that they've been through yeah. with their birth and with their breastfeeding experiences. So, and I can relate to it because I've been through it too. And so I know for that, and I've made um, glass for mothers who've lost their babies as well. And, yeah. you know, if their baby had been, uh, had been very sick and they were expressing milk for them and then saving that milk, um, I'm not sure what to do with that milk then after their babies have gone. Mm -hmm. And, and so they've sent me milk to make stuff and that's really tough i i find that really yeah that's really challenging to produce the piece for them but mm -hmm. do it anyway of course you do but it's just you know you can smell the milk when you go into it with the with the heat yeah one one baby who had um who was stillborn and i had i had his milk mm -hmm. and i knew that that the smell of that milk would have been the smell that he would have had and I find that really overwhelming yeah. to make that glass on that particular day. It was so hard, and but it was just it was really powerful to be able to produce that then and send it to them. It was a, a family in America. Just mm -hmm. so so special, and so for me, I think I would love to make it for everybody. If I if I was really rich, yeah, <laughs> I'd love to make it for every every person should have something like that a piece to remember because these things are solid and they're not going to break easily and they're going to last long after us these things are still going to be around you yeah know? Have I, you know we sometimes see the antiques road show and they have these really unusual things you know these little things that are from ancient times and it's like you know something really bizarre and i have visions of some one of my paperweights <laughs> being on my, you know, on yeah apparently this is human vulcan glass yeah definitely gosh no, what an honor to have been given Something like that, um, especially on, you know, uh, instances where it's obviously such a sensitive issue for people as well. I mean, that's so beautiful to just be trusted with something so special like that as well. I mean, that's incredible. Um, I wanted to ask as well about um, the actual milk. I mean, I know, I mean, it is, it is just incredible. I mean, I don't think it gets enough <laughs> credit, to be honest. Um, but because uh, no milk is created equal I mean uh, do you find any variations occur I mean is it possible at all I mean do, you know it, it, with every person's milk that you get is there it, can it have different effects I know that even if a baby's yeah. sick you know I mean yeah. will it produce just different effects depending on the different type of milk then yeah yeah and it's it's really cool and because i'm such a geek about human milk anyway <laughs> i kind of i have quite a good idea of what's going on so i mean i've, I've had colostrum which you know was obviously like it's almost like a yolky yellow color yeah and it's i always assumed that it was a, had such high fat content and i often wondered is it the fat content that sticks yeah. to the glass and it's not okay. so it must be more of the calcium and the iron and, and different things because the fat then separates it work when you go into the glass or go into the milk with the glass it almost you know the way mercury moves yeah sort of yeah. weird 
it goes like that. Wow. It's really strange. And then it depends as well. And so I, I, there was, I have an image of three different bowls of milk and each one's a different color. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes with a much higher, I suppose, colostrum would leave a slight tinge of a sort of golden tinge. Wow. And I don't know how it, but I, I, I can't work out the science behind it, but it mm-hmm. does. Um, and then often if there's a high iron content in the milk, you can see the trace, a little bit of a trace of metal around some of the white of the bubbles wow. within the glass, which is obviously iron content within okay. the milk. Uh-huh. So it's fascinating because one lady messaged me one time and she said, she said, Helen, I'm concerned. I think my glass is going moldy. Oh. <laughs> and I said, I said, really? Um, what? <laughs> and she said, yeah, I think I'm seeing bits of mold in my paperweight. <laughs> and I told her to take a picture and send it to me. And I said, no, that's always been there. I said, that's just, I said, so when you used that milk that you sent me, do you remember? And she said, yeah, he was teething really badly at the time when I was expressing that milk. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about that and talking about how her milk had probably changed at that time and was mm-hmm. providing something um, essential for her baby. And, and it seemed like it had a lot of trace elements and it of metal elements. And, and that was what it was, it was these little traces of metal. Um, and they're tiny, like, but you, you know, she's obviously been sitting studying this very carefully and it noticed these and thought, <laughs> and it couldn't, I mean, it's 1200 degrees when I go in, it's not possible. Wow. Mold will never be in the glass. Yeah. But it's fascinating, isn't it? That's oh. amazing. And so um, you were saying about the texture of how the milk kind of appears like a mammogram through the glass do you you were saying also that you layer it so would it be that you would have um sort of molten glass on your excuse my ter- lack of terminology on your glass blowing stick and then would you pour out um some milk and roll it in or is it you know do you kind of knead it in sort of like a, a butter and um baking or something like that no, I mean, I just, I, so I gather, um, I would gather some, if I'm making a paperweight, it's solid. So I gather um, a piece of glass on the end of the pipe or the iron. Okay. And then, um, and it's only small. And then I'll go into the milk with that. And then occasionally what I'll do is I'll get my tweezers and I'll sort of pull it in different directions so that it sort of spreads out and then it swirls then within the next layer. And then I gather over that. And then I gather over it again. Usually, if I'm now I do when I'm making quite large paperweights. Yeah. Uh, and so and and that's it. I mean, it's quite a, it's it's a fairly simple process. It's mainly about just capturing the milk. Um. So that's 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 pretty much it. I mean, if I'm blowing and it, it, it sends a different effect again. Then. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know, if I'm if I blow the piece out, it it creates a different sort of finish to the solid pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think, yeah, and so, I mean, what I've done recently now, my most recent work is, um, so I've started um, producing work for gallery now, mm-hmm. and I'm doing these large, very large breasts um, mm-hmm. that I've just exhibited in London last month. Brilliant, yeah. So they got sent to London, and um, yeah, the reception was pretty good. So there, there's three, it's amazing what happens when you put a nipple on something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure. The response is so wow so yeah so I, I made these three large breasts and each one is infused with milk and I want to now I want to do more with them now because the city hospital in Belfast would really like to exhibit them wow um, and the breast ward that they have there mm-hmm. and also they will be going to Brestival in August and the Ulster Museum that's on the 
fourth, third or fourth of August, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're going to the Breastfeeding Festival in Milton Keynes as well in September. And then they go to the Prolacta Conference in Poland in November. So my breasts mm-hmm. are going on tour, but I'm yeah. everywhere. I'll be going to some of the places, but not all of them. Oh, so um, so at the minute I'm working on um, a display for them. Mm-hmm. And ideally then they'll get to go. I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because um, galleries are interested in them. But for me, what's happening is because of the lactation word that I work with and mm-hmm. uh, word of mouth has spread through, through that. And so people from Alaska and all different parts of the United States and Australia are now sending me their milk to make glass. Oh my goodness, that's insane. And, um, and it's fine, like they worry about it being on the post for two weeks. It arrives here perfect. Like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and I just re- refreeze it. And even if it's not, it still works. I've worked with sour milk and it's not, it doesn't smell great with the heat, but yeah. it still works. Yeah. <laughs> and so does the, because um, I'm just fascinated by how it sort of, gather, you know, sits within the gathering. Um, does it evaporate and sort of condense down? Does it turn sort of powdery and it's with heat no, that it changes? No, no, it just like moves like mercury. It just goes really weird. Like it's just it's it's like some sort of alien thing that happens to it. It becomes this sort of weird, thick, gloopy, wow. strange thing. But it's still fluid. It's still mm-hmm. very fluid, and it does eventually start to separate. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. breast milk does anyway. When you put it in the fridge and you take it out, usually you'll see the two, the, the difference in the fat will mm-hmm. sit on top anyway. But um, yeah, it, it it separates and then all the fat sort of st- tends to stick around the edge of the bowl. But it just it sticks to the glass and then initially it's black mm-hmm. uh, when I first go on. But I've I've actually the last time I was working with it, I've come up with a new method now of um mm-hmm. getting the milk to stay and it, and it makes it much denser in the glass so okay. uh, so i've come up with a new sort of system of how to it's a, it's mainly just working with temperatures actually mm-hmm. and i i've come up with a new method now and it's it's working much better that's um exactly. so just about i mean and that's taken over two years to develop that yeah. you know so yeah it's great it's great to see the results though i love it yeah oh gosh brilliant um, are there any um, precautions you need to take that? I mean, you're taking in, um, you know, people's breast milk and, um, you know, the placenta and umbilical cords, teeth and so on. Is there any um, biological factors that you need to factor in whenever you're handling that? Or is it, you know, uh, is, is the process enough that it could eliminate any kind of um, contamination? Or I, I don't even know what you would get in terms of contamination, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure that temperature. It's just gonna kill anything. Yeah. I mean, I don't, and that's why I can't understand why the breast milk goes white. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm no scientist, so I would love somebody to work that out. Yeah. Where? Why is this going white? Um, because every other, most organic things just turn black, and they stay black. Mm. And they're not going any other color than black. Yeah. Um, placenta. Strangely enough, actually, I use raw placenta. Mm-hmm. And that was an interesting day in the hot shop, I can tell you. Oh, and wow. as well. Teeth make the glass go golden. This amazing wow. gold colour. So the tooth releases some kind of gas that creates a void within the glass that turns mm-hmm. gold. Wow. 
It's amazing. Yes, that's, so, that's just my son's tooth. Like, yeah. Know, does that mean that if you're saying it creates a gas, does that mean the tooth is almost loose, sort of surrounded in this bubble within the glass, or does it, it bond fully with... It, it bonds to the side, but it starts to create this... What, something obviously is coming out of the tooth that's making the glass, internal mm. glass, expand then, and it creates a bubble within that. That's wonderful. And it, it, it leaves this golden hue on the inside. So that is that a small um piece of placenta you'd be sent or are you generally sent like huge amounts of placenta and you kind of have no, to no, this is just chop a, this it up is or... a tiny small piece tiny small piece but i've often thought if anyone was to come in and read my freezer <laughs> <laughs> it just be going like what is that woman nice. what's that crazy woman do you um, <laughs> you know it's, it's full of people's milk it's it's amazing although i if my children have conjunctivitis or anything i've always got a small supply to, yeah. you know everything or, or sunburn or whatever you know it's oh, always okay. breast milk out of the freezer it's always the best solution i think incredible i heard a thing and um, this is not it's kind of gone rogue off topic but um i heard a thing um a few years ago about how breast milk can be used to heal or work towards healing cancer and um it's sort of properties that are uh, sort of restorative if you're saying you're using it on sunburn and stuff it just seems like such a magical substance it is i mean they're, they're they've, they've done so many trials with with breast milk i mean they did a thing where they put it in a, a petri dish and they put um or they had mrsa or something in the petri dish and they put breast milk and there was a moat created between the breast milk and the and them or mrsa wow um, so there is a lot of tests, but I think when it comes to, because I actually had a very close friend who was getting breast milk donated to her, um, mm-hmm. when she was terminally ill mm-hmm. and, and I think, um, she found it helpful, but unfortunately, obviously it didn't save yeah. her, mm-hmm. but, um, I, you know, at the time I remember, and I think, I suppose it's like anything, we know that a lot of what happens is because of skin to skin. So, yeah. you know, you're able to send your baby, uh, the best is through contact. Mm. It's, it's the contact and that's why when we talk about mothers um, feeding in public when mothers are expressing milk to take bottles of express milk out because they don't want to feed in public they're actually not offering the protection to their children when they're out because if I'm sneezing beside you mm. and you're feeding your baby breast milk from a bottle mm-hmm. your body's already produced antibodies to protect your baby but they're not getting that protection then because you're not feeding them directly from the breast yeah. wow. Okay. wow so that's I suppose in a way that's kind of how if you were very sick if you were someone that was very sick you would need to have very close contact with the, the person, person. Yeah. for their body to be able to produce what's best for you you know what yeah. i mean and that, yeah. that would be i know in mongolia there's a lot of stuff goes on there with um where you know the lactating mother is the 
is the is the person of medicine within communities and that's who the people go to for for their medicine is wow. the lactate mother but i don't know the process of what they do i don't think they just walk in and mm. she gives milk. there could be a lot to do with skin to skin contact mm. and various things so that they so that her body understands what this person needs and that's mm. how you know and that's very very natural isn't it it's fascinating i love it it's incredible we really don't know our own bodies do we like that's it's absolutely amazing we're Um, so powerful i mean what we can do is just mind-blowing and that was why i wanted to train because i felt my body had really let me down during the birth of my children and breastfeeding my children i felt like i had failed so badly and and i found that really distressing because i was living this very natural lifestyle where I grew mm. my own vegetables everything yeah. was organic you know I was really trying to, to make my body a temple and then I felt it had failed mm-hmm. so I had to I had to come back to, to being mindful of myself and kind to myself and the way I did that was through training to understand why it happened and, and the training that I had definitely answered all the questions that I needed and let me see that it wasn't my fault that these things happened and and that was kind of I wanted to become the woman that I wished I'd had in the room yeah. all that time and that's what I wanted to do then after and, and it seems to be working I, I think I have about 120 mothers on my whatsapp group at the minute wow. oh my word. Um, amazing. they're amazing for each other so it's been running for four years now yeah. and it's like a rotation so mothers are on their second and third babies now and those women are given the new mothers golden information yeah you know it's passing it on and passing it on and, mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's uh, most of the time it's common sense when you when you think about it logically it makes sense but that's not how we always see things in society is it when it comes to, yeah. to natural and, and it's always you know we overcomplicate it all the time and then we just have to simplify it and then it seems a bit easier mm-hmm. but it's easier said than done unless you've got someone who's trained telling you to do that you know definitely yeah no I mean well you're obviously the person giving the information and if they're passing it on and it's golden information to you then that's great I mean I feel I'm really quite jealous I'm very envious I was the only person in my family to breastfeed and um, I'm also the youngest as well and I really felt I, like I isolated. I felt like I didn't really have any support bar, you know, maybe the breastfeeding support group that I went to. Um, it, it, it really just, it lacked in my own social circle. So uh, yeah, I kind of feel like the, the value in that information that you're providing alone it's just incredible. It's huge. It's, I mean, well done you. You're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know what? It's like, I, I, I love the information and I love sharing the information. So, mm-hmm. and for me, I always like people sort of go like, oh, I'm really sorry to bother you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, oh my God, my number is public. It's there yeah. for you to use. I spent so long studying. Yeah. And I have all this information to give you. Please ask me. I will gladly help you because I know, I know how isolating it is. And it is, I mean, it can be really tough when you mm-hmm. feel like you're not getting support and people just don't understand. And Northern Ireland is one of the worst places in the world for breast. Speaking, yeah, you know, definitely. and we have to, you know, and I think part of, I suppose, part of what my work represents now is that kind of, you know, breaking down the stigma and, and you know, the fact that I put a nipple on, on this glass, yeah, and are so, so these huge breasts. Mm-hmm. And I know it, you know, initially it sounds kind of tacky, but then when you see them, they're actually really no, quite elegant and beautiful, and, yeah. They and that's about opening up the conversations around that with everybody. And I thought if I can do it within the art world, 
Mm -hmm. and make other makers see it because there was a lot of there was a lot of sneering at times i mean i got i got thrown out of one of the glass facebook pages oh what um, i did actually i was really shocked i um i joined a few and i was really hesitant because of my safety net as my as the breastfeeding community and the doula community and i get on so well there and i, I was so nervous about go back into the art world again because i was nervous about what i did and i knew that there would be you know a, there would be sort of some funny looks about the idea of putting human milk in glass and it would yeah. be like oh my god what are you doing and so i did i joined this and i think it was like an international glass makers page or something and i joined it and there's about five thousand people and i mm -hmm. put up a post and a really beautiful image of, of what the milk looks like within the glass mm -hmm. and just a close-up and i said what it was and somebody wrote some a really disgusting comment oh. turns out for one of the admin and i just my response to it was oh yeah because that's you know that's what everybody wants to do is put another you know bodily fluid into glass is what he had suggested yeah. and um, and i was really quite disgusted with it and then he threw me out and blocked me from the page oh my goodness and i thought well that was nice yeah. so um so going to the london glasgow gallery um recently last month was was my kind of you know what doesn't matter we're here you know True. and that was, and i was alongside many other amazing international glass makers mm -hmm. and i thought well here we are you know Absolutely. so um they made it there and now they're going off to other places and again it's it's just it's opening up that conversation around what my other passion is which is is natural feeding yeah that's amazing and how how did you um you were saying about uh you became a doula because you wanted the person and support um that you maybe didn't have at that time i personally was interested in becoming a midwife before i uh, went to study art how do you go into that uh, line of work um i just i, I tried to seek I was trying to seek out somebody who could teach me now unfortunately because I'm a single parent I can't do birth work at okay. all I can do postpartum doula work but I can't do any birth work because I can't be on call yeah um, so it's a real shame but you know I have three good friends right now who are pregnant as well at the minute so I'm just going like oh my god yeah <laughs> I, you know I'm going like please just have me on call if I can get there I will yeah but, um, but yeah, I just I think it was the natural thing to do once I trained as a breastfeeding counselor. It was the next step, and then I had become part of this project called the Elephant Collective, okay. um, and it's to do with um, women who have lost their lives through maternity services in Ireland, mm -hmm. and through Dr. Jill Murphy Lawless, who's the head. I think she's the head of midwifery and sociology at Trinity College. So she, she has sort of um, created this thing called the Elephant Collective, which is about sort of bringing justice to the system and changing the laws around maternal death. Mm -hmm. And this commemorative blanket, everybody contributed to it. And being somebody who had lost my second baby at six months, I felt very connected to that um, through the process because I was told my life was actually at risk at that time as well. Wow. So there was a lot of stuff in relation to that. And one of the other people very involved in that is a lady called Bridget, um, Bridget Sheeran, and she's based in Cork, and she's a home birth midwife and a homeopath, and she's also teaches uh, doulas. Mm -hmm. So Joe Murphy Lawless had said to me, if you're interested in becoming a doula, this is the best woman in the country to teach you. And so I basically 
bullied <laughs> Bridget Andy Common right up from Baltimore and Cork. I bullied her Andy Common all the way up um, as far as Donegal. No, she came to Kinloch mm-hmm. and Leitrim. I got and we rented a house and about seven of us went out for a few days and, and did intense training to become um doulas. And it's and again it's it's very simple. I mean we're not midwives. A doula is definitely not a midwife and yeah. you know it's not something obviously there's you know you can go on to do further training but it's about just really understanding the process of what's happening and just being that absolute rock for the person that you're with in that room. Yeah. And you know, not always necessarily the mother who's birthing, but usually her partner mm-hmm. is the one. And, and I, what I tend to do now a lot is, especially with friends of mine, is try and empower their partners to be the best birth partner they can be. Because when you're in the throes of labor, you're not able to, you know, we can't communicate properly. And yeah. God, what's going on with us? And so we need the person in that room with us to be our voice. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it's about. That That's what it was always about for me then, was about... Um, empowering people to be able to speak up when they needed to at that moment and be able to say no I don't want intervention or I don't want to go there or I don't Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. understand I mean you know as we were saying earlier our bodies are incredible things Mm. the things we can do with our bodies are absolutely amazing yet we don't know enough about them at all we don't know enough about what we can do we don't know half of the names of the things (laughs) that are going on so I think it's about just education, education, education all the time. Mm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Okay. Um, so you... I the same with breastfeeding. I think kids should be, you know, preschool should should be aware. I mean, by the time yeah. you're aware that you can birth a baby and, and mm. boys can't or whatever, mm. you know, you should know then that you can produce the food for your baby as well. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to teach children that, you know, and that's what yeah. I think we change now in our society here is it needs to be brought into early years and and helping children understand that this is the process and normalizing it through that yeah well no i i have quite a large family and but as i mentioned that because i was the only one that breastfed um i felt a bit um self-conscious and embarrassed um to do because i knew my some close family relatives opinions of it um, and then there's also a lot of very young children in my family as well. And I always felt like, oh, I need to leave the room. I, you know, I was totally okay once once I'd done the first, um, you know, feed in public with actually Robin. Robin was there. She's my <laughs> rock. She, if I did, she was the first person that I breastfed in front of that wasn't my husband. Um, but yeah, no, I think I, I was okay with, with feeding in public. But whenever it was family, I was like, oh, I'll just go to the other room. Because I, I felt like, oh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't know how they have explained it to their young children. um, You know, and I don't want to just suddenly, uh, you know, cause a, a an issue or a problem. or Which now looking back, that's really, you know, I should have just had the confidence to just <laughs> go I for it. I would but... understand that you wouldn't. You know, it's such a yeah. an unusual time, especially for first time. Yeah, and I think your as hormones well. as well, aren't they? They're just... They're all of it. So vulnerable, so vulnerable. Yeah. You know, and it is that. And I think, I mean, even coming to the groups and talking to, to mothers in the groups, and, and often what I find as well, the reason why I trained to do baby massage as well was so that I could work with non breastfeeding mothers. Yeah. I really wanted to be able to be around 
those women as well because I knew that I could help them too with mm-hmm. a lot about positioning with bottle feeding and different things and I mean most people still feed their babies lying on their backs with a bottle rather than doing pace treatment when they should be completely upright from birth mm-hmm. yeah there's lots of things around that that I would have I would have worked with mothers um that weren't breastfeeding and then explaining I suppose what we should be trying to do even with bottle feeding is mimic breastfeeding yes so lots of skinny skin um, you know that's as important so it, it's not about trying my thing was never about trying to make anyone feel bad for not breastfeeding mm. my thing was about bringing education around what you know we talk about the pros and cons of different things but here's the thing that can make a difference to your baby if they're not getting breast milk can still have a big impact mm-hmm. without me telling you you're a bad person for not doing it and that was where I wanted to do that through teaching um, baby massage and that seemed to really do that a lot and we created quite a harmonious thing and then those mothers would have more babies and come back to me then and go you know what you said the last time can you help me now yeah and then they would have breastfed and it was it was lovely without using this this guilt and pushy I always think it's, it's weird when people say oh I went for my my check my first check and um after I found out I was pregnant and I was asked are you going to breastfeed Mm-hmm. And I always think that's fascinating yeah. that someone gets asked that because, you know, it's like almost like the cart, you know, the horse is already bolted mm-hmm. and, and left. And, you know, at that point, you're pregnant, you're not really thinking about, if you've never thought about breastfeeding before, you're not going to suddenly go, bang, this <laughs> is it. You know, it, it has to be there from long before that stage. Yeah. Um, and so I think, and then people often would say, oh, I was really bullied. I was really bullied mm-hmm. on the internet. And, mm-hmm. And yet they were bullied into doing it, but the help that they were getting wasn't right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the people are still in agony and saying, oh, I'm, but I'm being told that this is fine and it's not fine. And so there's, oh, it's so complicated. It really is. The whole thing is so complicated and mm. it is about just please seek out the right help. Yeah. You know, mm. yeah. it's fine that I, I'm getting the word out that we're there, you know, that the people who can help you are there. And if I can't, I know other people who are more trained than I am that can and so it's finding the right resources you know if I can't help you I'll take you to a lactation consultant who can yeah you know and that's and that's about it's it's, that's the lack that we have here in Northern Ireland's really lacking in resources sadly so yeah and I love the way we've ended up talking about breastfeeding (laughs) (laughs) that's fine yeah no that's okay (laughs) yeah my friends know that that ends up yeah, <laughs> it's a good conversation to go into. Yeah. Um. So to bring it back, then I suppose to making. Um. You were saying about uh, a lack of a making process, or sorry, a lack of a making premises, and I've as only because I've done a very, 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 very short course in glass blowing. It takes so many people to work together. Um. To sort of operate the furnace, um, how do you kind of work it? Do you work by yourself, or can you work with other people? Can you use their facilities? Is there shared facilities? I rent off somebody um local actually. I rent off there is somebody not too far from here who has a studio, and they're quite private about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, I never advertise um their facilities, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, I have. I, up till now, I've been renting from them, and Dave um who is from 1150 Glass in Dublin, Dave would come up, um, often we would work together because we always worked together when we were at art college anyway. And, and we've sort of rekindled our, our, our partnership back in the hot shop and it's been brilliant. So Dave and I work really well together, but obviously he can't always come up 
Mm-hmm. And so I've I've started working solo again, and it's working really well. I like I really like working on my own. Actually, it's quite good. So I'm not not a bit um phased about about setting up my own thing and working solo. That's totally grand. I'd love it. I'd love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be great. Um, and I I think I would be interested in teaching as well. I always had an idea back in the late 90s about doing a cross-Atlantic exchange with um, with bringing some of the Seattle makers over here mm-hmm. to teach um, some of the skills here. So I always wanted to be able to provide really good facilities for them that they could come over and, and work with, you know, graduates who have just come out of art college or people maybe at different art colleges maybe coming out of um, you know, somewhere like different colleges in England that are studying glass or Wolverhampton or wherever, and I might want to come over here and work with some of these guys that I've been really lucky enough to work with them in my times. So I thought that that would have been a nice idea to do as well at some stage, and I think I'd still like to do that. I was in Seattle this time last year, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I went back with my kids because I hadn't been back since 2005, so that was a big trip, and I actually got to make glass from uh, Lino Talia Piera's pot. <laughs> he had specially went on from Murano. Mm-hmm. So we ended up hiring a hot shop for a few days and or for a day actually it was only a day. And um, and it was Lino's glass we were using. So we were so smug. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. So it almost came back around full circle after twenty years, you know. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. It was so good. But yeah that, I mean ideally I would love to this time next year I certainly would like to have my own studio um i'm looking for somewhere at the minute i I would like it to be part of where i'm living so i want it to be out the back of the house and so i'm looking for i'm looking for a house (laughs) with a big chef basically if you know anyone who has one send them my way will do um and then how do you so if you're saying that you um are happy enough working solo does that change the um process of your making or do you have to not adapt really. it in any way? I'm not really. I mean, my work's not that big at the minute. I'm not. If I make, if I need to make anything that's very complex, then then I'll beg Dave to come up. Or I'll, <laughs> I'll wait for you can come up and we'll do it. But most of the work, I'm I'm pretty comfortable making on my own. Yeah, it's fine. And the facilities that I used at the minute are very much geared towards solo work in any way. It's fantastic, really fantastic. I'll be so sad when I'm not using them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the um the recent work that you've made that you've been exhibiting or that you recently exhibited in London, um how did that come about? I mean you've been making the commission pieces, um what spurred you on then to just make these art pieces that were um you know essentially for your for yourself you know to 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 tell a story. Um, I think it sort of it kind of naturally came about. I I joined this group. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys are on it. The, the biscuit group, the bite the biscuit. Are you a part of that? Oh no, no. Okay, it's a really check check it out. It's on Facebook. Um, so there's a lady called Tara Bow, and she is she is just this absolute. Um, I I, I can't even begin to describe her properly because I'll not never do her justice. She's just the most amazing entrepreneur, and she's really um, she's like a creative counselor. Oh, and she's great crack she's really open she's not like most people that I've worked with in the past like years ago when I would have been talking to different people Tara's really approachable so she's created different programs for creative people and there's lots of different creative people who are part of the bike basket thing now and she's really reshaping how we work within Ireland mm-hmm. um, 
as a collective of creatives. Okay. So I had a friend of mine had passed that on to me last year, and I joined the Bite the Biscuits Facebook page, which is open to anybody anyway. Mm-hmm. And then this friend of mine then had gone on to do a foundation course with Tara and a few others. And there's Fran Haplin and Karen Hickey and different people who are painters and, and ceramicists and jewelry makers, all sorts of people are on there and people who are doing natural skincare products and stuff. And so I had seen how my friend had gone from her job um, working in a in home base or somewhere and, and suddenly she had left her job at the start of this year mm-hmm. and her business is now booming. And, and so they had this big bash in Dublin, this big biscuit bash in Dublin <laughs> in January. And I thought, I'll go along and, and meet some of these people and see what they're like. And I went along and it was just so inspiring. And I felt really involved again. And I'd said earlier, I felt so anxious going back into the creative world because I felt so out of the loop for so long. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of, you know, I was definitely a bit worried and intimidated by it. And I was just embraced by these people and then I became one of the factory members. There's a thing called the Biscuit Factory. And you subscribe to that and you pay monthly to be part of that. And you're just, you receive so much creative support. You get insight into all these things that are happening all over the place in different countries and Ireland and what's up next and how do we access this and how do we do that and mm-hmm. who's involved in this and how did you do that process and where did you get that funding and it's all there. Right. And and then Tara does a one-to-one, she does a powwow on a Monday so she opens up the floor for all of us. We all throw in questions, she brings them back. Mm-hmm. It's It's really, really good and it's growing. And so since I've become part of that, it's my, I built my website. Um, I just felt really much more empowered about what I was doing. And, and I had all these, um, as far as I'm concerned, these really um, amazing established artists. Now you are just, you're just all going like, oh my goodness, Helen, you're flying girl. You know, yeah. you're great. <laughs> and when you've got a bunch of people like that at your back, just pushing you on and egging you on, who believe in you, you know yourself, you're just going like, yeah. Go, maybe, maybe I'm doing okay here. Maybe my work's okay. Mm-hmm. And so that was when I started sort of going, well, why am I not applying for this stuff? And then I applied for the Contemporary um, Glass Society, the UK one. I became a member of that. And then they started sending me all these different things that were happening. And uh, and this one in London, was, I think it was the first time they'd done it. And they wanted it to be, the glass had to have a tangible object within it. Okay. Uh, and it couldn't be an animal or a person or something else. Uh-huh. And so I wrote back to them and I said, well, would you consider human milk a tangible object? Because I would. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, um, and then they agreed and they said, we think you should apply for this exhibition. And so that was how that one came about. And... And then when I, I started putting out in the lactation world that I was doing the exhibition, suddenly people from all over the world were messaging me going, well, could you bring your, you know, we want you to bring your, your glass to wherever. And so it, it, the only thing I could think that it, I could make what it was breasts. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what else were you going to do? Yes, I was just going to like, do the most obvious thing, make huge milk infused breasts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that, that was what it, that was what I did and, and you know and they just uh, people appreciated the beauty of what it was without it being tacky. Do you yeah. know what I, yeah. I mean by that? Um, and they do they look really they look really beautiful and I think that's 
yeah, it's interesting because someone suggested um, crocheting with wire um, a giant bra. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's actually quite funny, but and I might do that yet. Yeah. But, oh no! Don't cover them. No, they they need to be out and proud. Yeah. They are beautiful. Very out and proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I kind of want one as like a brooch just to wear, yeah, you know, definitely. out. Because um, <laughs> I kind of feel like I'd want to wear it everywhere. Well, one of the things that Tara is always saying is, you know, keep keep recreating, keep, you know, bring in new things, think outside the box. So, so suddenly I was sort of going, well, you know, jewelry is another thing, and I'm still infusing. I've, I've all these bits, like pieces that would smash on the floor with milk in them, mm-hmm. um, and I and I recycle them, and then I started melting them down in the kiln. Then, mm-hmm. and well, that's per that's perfect for a pendant. And then I, I started mixing colors, in, and then I was and then someone said about birthstone colors, and I was mixing that, and so now I do make pendants. Yeah. Um, and brooches actually sound like that's my that's my next thing. Brooches, good. There you yeah. go. You, now you've got me and Daniel. You. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I want big breast brooch yeah. brooches. Oh, I think, yeah. I love it. Right, I'm gorgeous. gonna make them. I'm gonna make them. That's yeah. Brilliant. And I'll I'll take a forty percent <laughs> cut. Yeah. Um, and so whenever you're recycling these um, pieces that have broken and that have breast milk in them, how does that um, how does that melt down? Because I know for myself, if I was ever recycling something, um, it needs to be, you know, 100% pure silver or 9 karat gold or all 18 karat gold or anything. I've never mixed it. I mean, does it go back to being almost like the original form or can you see that there's a slight cloudiness to it or no not it's totally fine it's grand it's grand i just uh if it's broken off as long as it's clean and i just put it i just put it in and and, and off it goes it's fine no, it comes mm-hmm. out grand um i think if i was if i was mixing with different types of glass um because it's it's like it's glass that's used for hot glass that i'm using then in the kiln i have to keep using cooler with it i can't mix bullseye with that glass because it would crack so yeah. I think as long as I'm not contaminating or doing cross contamination, it's it's all fine. But I'm really careful about anything like that, and because I normally don't work with anything that's warm glass anyway. Um, it's all hot glass, so all yeah. like my colors and everything are specifically for that. Ooh. So it works out fine so far. But yeah, I'm, I, it's lovely because I'm getting orders in for that. Most of my orders that I get are for the paperweights. Mm-hmm. Um, which which I can totally get. I get why people would because they look they do look amazing and you can really appreciate the milk inside them. And then I, I made um these little um milk infused paperweights with some copper leaf nipples mm-hmm. recently and they're only small, like, you know, you can hold them in their in your hand and I thought they would have been so fun for like rewards like presentation for rewards for yeah. um oh, yeah. for some of the key speakers who are coming to these conferences here like the Lashley conference or quit you or you know maternal mental health or whatever it may be in mm-hmm. relation to birth and breastfeeding i thought what great little rewards Absolutely. to hand over rather than you know your usual bunch of flyers i thought this would have been quite fun so i'm working on that concept at the minute as well um, which is kind of fun and yeah and there's a bit of interest coming in from that as well so you know it's I suppose it's you know anyway it's about trying to sort of keep it fresh 
you know, you can still use the same techniques, but just try and come up with some some different things. Some, you yeah. know, like the brooches. Love the brooches. us a wee bit about uh, the reality of being sort of a maker, a doula, uh, sorry, a doula, um, a breastfeeding counsellor and, you know, a full-time mum as well. Like, how do you manage that balance? And uh, is it an easy uh, enough thing to do or is it? that should be applied you know across every, every your whole life really you know not just especially during that time but I know um, even as a maker I could do with that <laughs> I'm telling you the bite the biscuit that is what they do yeah. for me okay. I mean it's, when it came to creative stuff I was a nervous wreck I was so worried about it and I just like the night I walked into the gallery in London I um I had two friends with me one had flown over another one lives there mm -hmm. and one of the mothers from my group came along with her very small baby her six-week-old baby that oh. night who's from here but lives in London so she arrived that night as well and while I was oh. waiting to use the bathroom 
two of the Quidgy tutors had flown in mm-hmm. to surprise me. I just started oh, crying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so sweet. That's really beautiful. That's, it was really yeah. special. So I had no idea they were doing that. And um, and it didn't matter. I could have been anywhere in the world that night. I didn't yeah. care. I just was surrounded by all these amazing, incredible people. And I just, I loved it. It didn't matter that I was in an art gallery or that my glass was there. It did. But for me, that was more special than anything I could have ever wanted. And I, and I don't remember a time that I felt so just just so privileged and mm. happy I felt really really happy and I just couldn't stop smiling all night I just was so so amazed it was mm. brilliant oh that's great that's incredible and so you were saying for this time next year you hope to have um your studio all set up and ready to go what Let's kind of so yeah. <laughs> amazing so what all think um we were saying are you looking for a new premises or yeah, I'd say so. I can't put it here, not where I'm living right now. So I'm going to have to probably try and find a house somewhere a little more rural um, with a shed. That would mm-hmm. be the ideal location. Um, I mean, I'm kind of open to the possibilities of moving further away, but I think the kids might protest a bit about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine so. <laughs> and then, um... well, hopefully that's the plan anyway. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and then do you have anything else on the horizon that you're looking forward to or working towards? Um, well, this time of year is always about Stendhal. So Stendhal fever is upon us. So okay. I, yeah. live, I live a mile away from Stendhal. So I see them passing here all day with all oh. the gear. And, you know, so I think in the next couple of weeks, I will probably start to spend a lot of time at the festival site getting prepared for that and um, if you've not been to Stendhal it is absolutely brilliant there's going to be nearly 10,000 people on this year and the family area is just something else it's amazing Mm -hmm. so we are I mean we see babies as young as three weeks old coming Um, and Fiona Ray does it with me and she is uh, one of the country's leading lactation consultants actually Mm -hmm. So for the price of a standal ticket for a family weekend, it would cost you the same price to see her for an hour's consultation. Wow. Okay. Could Once you tell us, um, sorry, could you tell us a wee bit? So actually people do come along specifically to see Fiona and get tongue tie assessments done and stuff. Um, so she's there all weekend with me and we just have a blast. So we have some Prosecco and, and nice cheese and stuff going around when we're working with all these lovely mothers. Oh, lovely. And so sorry, I've actually never heard of uh, that festival before. Is it? Um... It's amazing. It's um, Stendhal Festival of Art. It starts, I think it's on the 15th. I'm just looking at my calendar. Yeah, this year it starts on the 15th. Thursday the 15th of August. And it will run for three nights then. Um, I think Basement Jacks are headlining on Friday night. Um, wow. So there's there's uh there's two sites and then there's the top field and the bottom field and there's two huge stages and then there's other smaller stages around. There's poetry. There's an art gallery. There's a big top. There's a full um children's program. Oh my the goodness. There's the Wood Town. There's three stages in Wood Town. Um, it's it's the most beautiful site i mean it's it's like a proper natural um theater mm-hmm. in the lower field where you're just rising up the hill um it's even with that many people it still feels really comfortable um they've got the camping really well um laid out and it's just very much geared towards family so it's not like a crazy 
mad everyone's running around it's not like that at all it's just mm. very family orientated and it's just a really lovely experience so i i love it i'm really proud of, of being part of it it's brilliant that's incredible okay yeah. we're going um yeah we're absolutely <laughs> going yeah. you absolutely yeah. love it i don't know anybody who has come yet and left oh no i didn't like it they all love it yeah <laughs> that's oh, incredible well this episode well we're launching this series in august um so yeah. Uh, this should hopefully be in the first week of August that we'll be um, launching this specific episode. So if you're listening, go to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds incredible. Um, yeah, this will be nice. actually that will be the week before um, Brestival is that weekend. Actually, the first weekend of August. Oh, so that's perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. So the Brest should be at that. Actually, the Brest um, planning to have the Brest on stage with the key speakers. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so um, towards the end of each episode, we like to ask a bit of um, uh, a few random questions about you that are a bit unrelated to your practice and um, just to also know you more, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know, uh, what's the last film that you watched? <laughs> oh my god, what's a film? Well, um, do you know what? I came to Game of Thrones but late. Oh, we so, too, yeah. I'm, I, yeah. Never seen it, right? I never I had a volunteer who was in Donegal with me who was in the first series. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, and I'd never even seen it. So I felt quite sad about that. So anyway, <laughs> when, it, when it ended a couple of weeks ago, I, I bought the box set and I've been binge watching it since. So I'm just, I'm just about to start the sixth series. So don't tell me. I don't won't. Tell me. We won't. Yeah, no. So I, that's what I've been watching and I can't remember anything before it now. Oh. <laughs> brilliant though it's so like i i done exactly the same thing as same. soon as it ended we just started watching it and um i i just think my god it's like watching a film it's it's so well done and there's so many local makers that were part of making that yeah, as well which fantastic. is fantastic so it's I know, it's, it's great isn't it? yeah i know yeah. i love it i love i love yeah, it i yeah. think they're sort of making more though i think there's more happening I yeah. yeah yeah they're making a prequel is it um at the moment it's it's currently being recorded or filmed um so i i think it's all set before all of that uh has happened so Amazing. it'll be great hopefully it'll go well and it'll be something else i can watch whenever ben's asleep <laughs> I know, I know. so yeah that's it i can't remember a film before that honestly that's um that's, yeah. that's all I've been watching for a couple of weeks now, but it's great. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I found it hard to get into at the start. I was kind of Same. going, what is all the fuss about? Yeah. But now I'm this far and I'm going like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and so next question, what would be the last piece of locally made craft that you've bought, either for yourself or as a gift? Um, let me see. I bought a necklace. Actually, I didn't buy it. I exchanged. We exchanged Ooh, um, some glass for some jewellery mm -hmm. um, from a lady called um, Verge down in Cork. Fantastic. Um, what's her on the verge? Is is her stuff on the verge? Right. And so she made a necklace called the Good Mum. And so I think it's copper and silver and something else. And they're each little tags and different ones say loved. What do they say? Mm -hmm. Loved and. Loved obeyed and or something like I can't remember. It's not obeyed. I can't remember now. I'm not wearing it right now. But anyway, I bought a, I bought a necklace. I got a necklace and I exchanged a necklace with her. So that was a couple of weeks ago. And I actually I've been buying some paintings as well recently. And I got a Karen Hickey painting. Amazing. Yeah. As well, a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, these are all people that are part of the Busca community. Yeah. Brilliant. 
Yeah, you'll have to check that out if you don't like that. Absolutely, will do. Literally on our phones right now. I'm already signed up. It's amazing. Well, this conversation has been absolutely incredible. I've learned so much. I'm really, I'm I'm so sad that I didn't get the opportunity to send you any milk or anything, you know, to make my (laughs) my own piece. But I'm definitely keeping an eye out for those big boob brooches. They'll be, they'll be definitely great. And there's always baby teeth, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, never mind. I'm going to be. (laughs) 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 That's okay. But, like, thank you so, so much for this. Um, We've learned so much. And you're an incredible maker. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to do this and then being so awesome. Uh, <laughs> and open about how you make and, you know, the struggles and realities of it as well has been brilliant. And to be honest, I feel very inspired to sort of look into being a doula as well because it's something that I've been really interested in um, previously. So it's so nice to hear such positive sort of thoughts on the matter. It's really special. And there's some really, I think there's a couple, there's a thing... Is it Wise Birth Belfast, I think? Okay. Things, I'll send you links to it, actually. Mm, um, thank yeah, you. A couple of things in Belfast that are really taken off now. Some people are really passionate up there. Um, Mommy McMum Face Claire um, Hackett is doing some stuff as well. So there's some there's some really some really good um, movers and shakers out there who are just inspiring women at the minute um, mm. around birth and sort of education and stuff and, and so yeah things are happening here it's lovely it's lovely to be involved and see it that's brilliant and so I suppose maybe the last question I'd like to ask you is do you have any recommendations or words of wisdom for any other either new graduates from NCAD or um from UU or pretty much anyone who's interested in either glass or pretty much anything really whoever well you know it was like what I was saying earlier I mean, I was kind of, I suppose I was naive years ago where I just assumed that you go to the core, you go to the source. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you leave, if you're graduating and you've got, you know, and you're free to sort of open up your mind to the prospects of going to the place that you think you're going to end up anyway. So if you think that New York is the place to be, just what, no matter what it takes to get there, get to New York. Mm. Fantastic. You know, if it needs to be Berlin, if it needs to be Milan, wherever it needs to be, wherever you feel is the most inspiring place to be, don't you know? Don't faff around. Don't 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 think that you need to do something else and something else and something else to get there. Just go straight there. Life's yeah. just too short. Go straight there. Absolutely. And so, how can people get in touch with you or find your work? Um, well, the website's HelenHancockGlass.com. Brilliant. So pretty simple and the Facebook page is Helen Hancock Glass Artist. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for yes, thank you. once again. Um and it's been amazing to talk to you. No bother guys, it's lovely to chat to you as well. And I hope you come down to stand off. We will. We will definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, I hope you do after this. It'll be so lovely if you meet you and bring some prosecco. Oh, <laughs> oh we will <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much once again, Helen, for chatting with us. Gemma and I had actually never met Helen before and we were so blown away by her generosity, not only with her time, but also with the information that she shared and the amount of detail she went into was just brilliant and I personally was fangirling the whole time during the interview. Um, I have also been listening to this episode on repeat because I find it's just so empowering 
I'm inspiring. So I'm sitting in the studio just working away to it. So um, I hope you all have got as much from that episode as we had. And I hope you'll join us next week when we'll be talking to the incredible Martin Cameron and Laura Breen, who are two goldsmiths that work together in their business, Cameron and Breen, based in Randallstown. And Gemma and I were lucky enough to go to their studio and check out all of their tools and have a lovely chat with them. So yeah, hope to see you next Thursday. Bye.